Okay, so everyone knows about the wise men of Chalm, yeah? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, they were very foolish, but they thought, there's no sin in being foolish, but they were foolish and they thought they were wise, and they used to philosophize. So one day, two Chalmites were philosophizing, and one says to his friend, you know, considering how difficult life is, I think it would be better for everyone to never have been born. And his friend says, yeah, Chaim, that's true. But how many guys do you know who are that lucky? One in a thousand? How many guys do you know who were never born, right? Okay. So the Chalmites were talking about how difficult life is. Um, and that seems to be the general, maybe popular conception. You know, life is tough. But... Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Is life really all that bad, or is life good? And what is a good life? Okay, without further ado, let's look in our Parsha, Chai Sara. Parsha starts off like this, Vayu Chai Sara, and the life of Sara was... Meyashana, a hundred years, Vesrim Shana, and twenty years, Veshevashanim, and seven years. Shnei Chai Sara. These are the years of the life of Sara. Now, why it breaks it up into a hundred and then into twenty and then into seven, Rashi explains that. But I want to look at the second Rashi on this verse, where he asks and answers another question, which is why does the verse begin? These, this is the life of Sada, and then it enumerates Shana, 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 a unit of, or a group of 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years. So we know we're counting what unit? Years, right? Because it said it three times, right? And then at the end of the whole thing, These are the years of the life of Sada. I know we're counting years. I know we're counting years. So then why, did, why at the end does it again say, these are the years of the life of Sada? And so Rashi answers that question and says that that extra word, because there's no such thing really in Chomish as an extra word, but that seemingly superfluous word of repeating that these are years is to add something. When it was saying the word Shana previously, it was talking quantitatively. These are years we are counting. But when it says it at the very end, on the whole life, on all the years together, and says these are the years of the life of Sada, it's talking not quantitatively, but qualitatively, right? That, as Rashi says, Kulon Shavin Litoiva. They were all equally good or they were all equal in goodness. Kulon, all of them, Shavin, were equal, Litaiva, in goodness. Okay. Fine, no problem. Now I have a question. I've read this book before. I know this story. All of the years of Sada's life were equally good. She was born in Urkazdim, which was a rough neighborhood. It was not a good place. You know, you had a wicked king, Nimrod, who was persecuting Av Av little Avram, who was her future uh, husband. Uh, he killed her father. You know that Sada's father, Haran, was killed by, by Nimrod. 
Um, she had to leave. Then she goes to Choron. And then she and her husband open up the first Chabad house, and then the Mekad of a lot of people. That must have been a real highlight of life, right? Then there was Hanafesh HaShah they made a lot of followers, and that was great. But then they had to leave Choron, Lech Lecha, and they didn't even get told where they're going to go, right? So then they went to Eretz Canaan. That must have been kind of an upheaval. And then they get to Eretz Canaan, oh, there's a famine, you got to go to Mitzrayim. <coughs> And then she goes to Mitzrayim, and who's the one who gets kidnapped and held in Pare's palace? It's, that's her, that's Sara, right? But then they become rich, and then they come back out of uh, Mitzrayim, they go back to Canaan, and they go back to their work, and now they have wealth. So there were a lot of upheavals. There, there was up and there was down. Her, her, her light, her brother, got kidnapped, but then, 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 then Avram went and chased, and he won, and he beat the five kings, or the four kings, and, and, he, and, and I'll, I'll talk about 90 years of childlessness. And then all of a sudden, she, she's blessed with, with, with the child, and not just any old child, Yitzchak Avinu. So there are ups and there are downs in the life of Sarah, and yet you tell me, Kulon Shavin Latoiva, they were all equal in goodness. That's not what I read. So there's an expression. There are two kinds of people. You can be a thermometer or a thermostat. What does that mean? What's a thermometer person and a thermostat person? A thermometer tells you the temperature in the room. A thermostat tells the room the temperature. There are reactive people, that's a thermometer. <coughs> So if you want to know how life is treating him, look at his mood, because his mood will be determined by whether he's getting what he likes or what he doesn't like. So that's a thermometer. Then you have the opposite, someone who's not reactive, someone who's proactive, someone who's an influencer, we call that a thermostat. He chooses his state of mind, he chooses his mood, and then he emanates that outward and makes that the spirit in his environment. Because a thermostat, you can reprogram. The, the, the point is that the thermometer doesn't do anything other than react to what's going on around it. And I have another thing. It says there about Shana and Shanae. Yeah. That's another thing. That's another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Regarding, regarding the idea of qualitative life, the idea that we look at life, or we tend to look at life. Remember I was saying before, the general conception that people have is life is hard. We tend to look at life and evaluate life based on how it treats us. Which, if you think about it, is not a very smart way, not a very accurate way, to judge the quality of a life. First of all, first and foremost, that's nothing that we can control. Hakol bide shamayim chutz shamayim. Everything's in the hands of heaven except for our awe of heaven. That means, how life is treating us, God is engineering and orchestrating meticulously to the detail. 
every bit of it. How we choose to react to those facts, meaning our awe of heaven, which really means do we choose to live in awe only of God, or do we live in awe of people, places, and things? That's our choice. So how life treats us, we have no control. How we decide to feel about it, and therefore how to act, that's completely within our control. So the thermometer-thermostat difference really is the difference between are you the victim in your story or are you the hero, the protagonist? In every drama, a protagonist goes through ups and downs. That's the three-act structure. There's conflict and there's resolution. And just because there's a heavy conflict in a story, you don't call that a bad story. To the contrary, a good story, the protagonist almost looks like there's absolutely no way they can prevail, and that's called a good story. So how come when it happens in reality, we call that a bad life? I was once at a shiva, and somebody said, oh, he had such a bad life. And I didn't like that. Those, first of all, even if someone really did have a bad life, you don't say that at a shiva. But in this case, it was so wrong, and I said, why do you say that? And the person says, well, because, you know, he, 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 listing the things that happened to this person. And I said, you're talking about stuff that happened to them, adversity and challenges. Why don't you describe how they took it? Why don't you describe their reaction to it? This is a very strong, courageous person. I would say they had a great life. No, but they suffered so much. But that's not what we call a good life. I was created, the, the Gemara says, Ani in fact, it says it in the negative, which means, really, by all rights, I shouldn't have been created. There's no reason I should have been created. Allah, but rather, why was I created? L'shamash eskaini, to serve my maker. So the truth is, I don't even have to exist. Like the Chalmites are saying to each other, maybe we shouldn't exist. But they were saying it for the opposite reason. <coughs> they were saying, because we don't like how life treats us, so it would be better. Never, if you're, doing, you're trying to do me favors, don't do me a favor. I don't want to exist, right? But if you flip it and you say, hold on a second, you think you came down here to have a good life? Meaning, to have a good life? To have it served to you? No, you were sent down here to make a good life. To do, not to receive. You think your holy, precious neshama, your eternal, perfect soul, came down to this, this imperfect physical world to receive something? You were sent here to do something, to make a contribution. So when we say a good life, <coughs> there's no such thing as a, a good life being the sum total of how the different episodes of your life were pleasing or displeasing to you. That's the, that's the, 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 the misunderstanding. So if you come from that misunderstanding, then a person can say, well, you know, a lot of trials and tribulations, a lot of challenges, I had a bad life. But if you flip it, and you say, I was sent here to contribute, then not only is there no such thing as having a bad life, unless you choose to, unless you choose to. I remember when we were kids, we used to have a bus driver who used to drop us off, and as we'd get off every day, he'd say the same corny joke, but as I grew up, I'd look back and I realized he was a philosopher. He used to say, hey, have yourself a great day, unless you've got other plans. Okay, so not only is it not that life is going to be bad, but we get to choose that life is good. So I'll tell you, I'm gonna tell you a story. This story I did not hear directly from the person it happened to. I heard it from the person that the person it happened to told it to. It happened to a chassid named Reb Mendel Futterfass who suffered. Um, we were talking about him recently. You related to him, or uh, yeah? But I remember the first time I ever went to Yisurus. Reb Mendel was coming out. Aha. 
So he, 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 he suffered a lot. If you want to talk about somebody who had, whose who life didn't treat him nicely, right? Okay. In the conventional sense. So he was in a gulag. He was in a work camp. And um, anyways, he told this story to a mentor of mine, Rabbi Lou from London. So one day, uh, Rabbi Futafas, Rabbi Mendel, was sitting in Lubavitch House, or the, 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 what they call Lubavitch Foundation, in, um, in Stamford Hill in London. And uh, he's telling Rabbi Lou about some of his gulag experiences. Now, in the gulags, there were a few types of different people. There were some Jews, like, like Rabbi Mendel, who were basically political prisoners. And there were other uh, political prisoners like intellectuals. The, the communists were very suspicious of intellectuals. In fact, there's an old joke they used to say, why does KGB work in groups of three? Because you need one who knows how to write and one who knows how to read and a third one to keep his eye on the two intellectuals. Right? They're very suspicious of people who know how to think for themselves, obviously. So there was a professor there in Gulag with Reb Mendel. And then the rest of them were just regular criminals. They were just, you know, cutthroat criminals. So anyways, this professor started to observe that young, healthy people were dying. And they were just dropping like flies. And it wasn't because of a famine or, you know, mal malnutrition. It wasn't because of, of disease. It wasn't because of injury. Um, they would just lose the will to get up off the cot in the morning, and when they would come back from their day of slave labor, they would find that person dead. And this would happen regularly. So the professor is watching this. I don't know what kind of a professor he was, but some, maybe some type of doctor or sociology or psychology. He was studying what was going on around him, and he approached Reb Mendel, and he says, I notice these men who are otherwise healthy, <coughs> and, I, and I see, it's interesting because what he said, this was in the 60s. Whether or not Viktor Frankl's logotherapy reached the Soviet Union, this doctor had read it by the 1960s, I don't know. But it's interesting because of the parallels. He says, the, the professor says to Reb Mendel, I see otherwise healthy men who lose the will to live and they die. And um, I, I believe it's because they have nothing to live for and then their, their system shuts down. So he says, but you, I see the exact opposite. Not only are you alive, but you're, you're sort of like the, the cheerleader of, of the gulag. You keep everybody you know, excited and you, know, you have a joie de vivre, a certain good spirit about you and you're in, encouraging others. And I want to understand your insight into what's going on. <coughs> so that Mendel says like this. He says, look, these guys that you're observing, who are they? They're Cossacks, right? Lowest of the low, dregs of society. And uh, for a Cossack, life is three things. A horse, a rifle, and a bottle of vodka. That's life. That's it. There's nothing, there's nothing else. Now, when they get sent, sent here to the gulag, those three things are taken away. They lose their horse, they lose their rifle, they lose their bottle of vodka. So if that's life, and those, thi those things are taken away, so life was taken away. Now it's only a matter of time before the body gets the memo from the brain that you're dead already. And that's what you're observing. Now me, what's life? What's life? Life is you try to serve your creator the best you can. That's life. So when they sent me here, did they really take anything from me? No, not really. He says, in fact, you know, it's pretty similar 
to life back at home. Back at home, I worked in an office. He used to make fake passports, Polish passports, to get Jews out of Russia. And uh, he says, I'm, I'm working in my office, and I see the sun is setting, it's time to daven mincha, the afternoon prayer. So you stop work, and you daven mincha, the afternoon prayer. Now over here, we're chopping wood, and the sun is going down, and I see it's time to stop work and daven mincha. Well, there's no shul to go to, so you don't go to shul. And if you stop swinging the axe, they'll come and shoot you in the head, so you don't actually stop working. But while you're working, as the sun is setting, in your mind, silently, you daven mincha, right? And uh, in fact, not only do you do the same thing as back home, but in a certain way, it's even better because when I'm out there in the tundra and davening mincha by myself silently in my head, I think to myself, wow, in all the years since Hashem created the world, I bet you no one ever stood in this exact spot and said His praises. So you see, when they sent me here, they didn't take anything away from me. That's the real difference between what we're calling before thermometer and thermostat. That a thermostat is somebody who says, I was sent here, I was created to serve. The ability to serve can never be taken away from me. I can always serve under any conditions. And therefore, I get to choose whether I have a consistently good life. Because I can always do good, and therefore my life will be good. And if I'm constantly doing good, I can look back and say, my life was consistently, constantly, equally good every moment of it. As opposed to the assumption that most of us have, the default assumption, which is, I came here, and now I'm going to see how I'm treated, and if people are nice to me, then I had a good day, and if they're mean to me, I had a bad day. And I'm up and down like a roller coaster, and I have no idea when I get out of bed in the morning whether or not I'm going to have a good day or a bad day. The Baal Shem Tov said, and the verse, Shavisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. Right? It's, a, it's a verse in Psalms, in Tehillim, from David Amalekh, King David. It says, Shavisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid. I have placed the Lord before me at all times. So the Baal Shem Tov said, Shavisi, I have placed, is from the word, we had it in Arashi that we were learning, remember Kulan Shavin Latoiva, they were all equal for goodness. Shavisi is from the word Shave, equal. So the Baal Shem Tov tells us a formula. Shavisi Havayel and Negdi Samad, I've placed the Lord before me at all times, meaning I'm God conscious, I'm constantly God centered, is from the word Shave equal or even keel to teach you that if you have actually placed Hashem before you at all times, meaning if your thought is always on service of your maker, if you're always thinking what can I do for Hashem, if I'm always thinking about how I can serve Him, not what I'm getting out of life, but how I'm using my life to serve Him, right, I've placed the Lord before me at all times, then shove it, your life will be equally good. You'll have a certain stability in life. As opposed to what? what's the opposite of placing Hashem before you at all times, of being God conscious at all times? What's the opposite of being God conscious? Self-conscious, yeah, I'm focused on self. So when I'm self-conscious, then I'm thinking about, well, 
Are they being nice to me? Are they being mean to me? Am I eating good food? Am I eating you know, yucky food? Um, do I have money? Do I not have money? Do I have peace of mind? I don't have peace of mind. And then you, you just, life is just this constant assessment of whether or not I'm being served on a silver platter, right? Because it's all about me. And consequently, it's the opposite of shove. It's roller coaster. There was a boy back in the old country, in the shtetl, and he heard about the Hasidim. And he became fascinated and he ran away and he went to a Hasidic yeshiva. When he came back home, his old Rosh Yeshiva caught him. And he said, why did you run away? He says, I ran to the Hasidim. He says, the Hasidim can't teach you anything that I couldn't teach you. And if you'll tell me one thing that they could teach you that I can't, I'll forgive you. So he says, really? He says, yes, I will. So he says, okay. One thing the Hasidim taught me that you couldn't teach me? He says, yeah, one thing. He says, okay. They taught me to read minds. He says, well, that's a pretty impressive skill. So I know, I, I admit, I can't teach you to read minds. I can't read minds myself, and I can't teach it, surely. But you have to, that's an outrageous claim. You have to back that claim up. You have to prove it. Read my mind. The boy says, if I read your mind, you're going to forgive me for running away to the chassidim? He says, yeah, but do it. You've got you to really do it. The boy says, fine. You've got to concentrate. If you're focused on a thought, I'll be able to tell you what it is. So the former Rosh Hashiva, the former teacher, says, okay, fine, no problem. I'm focused. The boy says, you're really focused. He says, yeah, I'm focused. He says, okay, you're thinking, Shavisi Havayala Negdi Summit. I have placed the Lord before me at all times. I'm constantly God conscious. The teacher says, I'm not thinking that at all. The boy says, I know, that's why I ran away to the chassidim. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, to sum it all up. We can go through life self-conscious, assessments constantly being made on how am I being treated? How is life treating me? And we're reactive, and we're the victim of our story, and we're a thermometer, up and down, all at the whim of our surroundings. Or we can go through life saying, I was created for one purpose. I was created to serve. I was created to contribute, to do something, to give. And no one can strip me of my ability to give, no matter what situation I'm living under, like Reb Mendel's story. And therefore, my life is consistently good. And this is the answer to the question. A shallow reading of the story of Sada's life would be that she had a roller coaster ride of a life. She had painful moments, she had pleasurable moments, she had emotional lows, emotional highs, and that would all be true if Sada were a self-centered person, God forbid. But if you understand that Sada Imenu, our holy matriarch, lived life proactively, not to be served, but to be a servant, a servant of Hashem, and that every single moment of life, whether it was an easy moment or a difficult moment, or a really, 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 really challenging moment, she saw every moment as an opportunity to give, to be of service. Now it's no wonder that we can say, Kulon shavin l'toiva. They were all equal for goodness. They were all equal for goodness. Or, if you want to take this whole talk and sum it up in a one-liner, Reb Zushya said, Kulon shavin l'toiva, gamzu l'toiva. That was his whole vort. What does that mean? 
How do you make sure that your life is all consistently good? You say everything is for the good. What does it mean that everything, everything is for the good? That's what we've been talking about the past 25 minutes. That <laughs> if you look at life, how it's treating you, how can you say this is for the good? This was a terrible, painful moment. I would never have wanted, wanted this to happen, and now it's happening. But if you look at life as opportunities of service, then every single thing that will ever happen to you is good. Because it's just another opportunity for service. And you put together moment and moment and moment and moment of service, and you look back and you have a life that was all perfectly equally good, like our matriarch Sada. Okay, that's the lesson this week.